that a lot. Our gospel reading this morning is found in the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 in your pew Bibles. That's in the New Testament, page 93. John, chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Hear the word of God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water, that had, been, that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you are saying thanks be to God a little louder than others. <laughs> well, um, we all love this gospel story, Jesus turning water to wine. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. I like that. Let's close in prayer. No. Um, so our lectionary readings this morning uh, come, and we're in a lectionary series right now, and uh, this is the first time I've done a lectionary series since I've come to this church. Uh, we're reading through the Old Testament passages, Psalms, New Testament passage, epistles, and gospel. Okay, so usually up to four readings any given Sunday. Um, now, the thing is, we looked at this story of Jesus turning the water into wine about a year ago when we did the top 10 series, the top 10 miracles of Jesus. So um, I'm going to be focusing on the other readings and how they relate to this reading as well. Um, but I think they're all tied together and that's one of the fascinating things about the lectionary readings that we find is that they all oftentimes have a theme or a motif that we can find in each of them uh, that relates to the other. In Isaiah chapter 62, Anne read about um, Isaiah speaking and calling out to God and crying out for vindication, uh, praying for vindication. And I love that opening few words. I will not keep silent. I will not keep silent. Have you ever felt that way in a situation where I just have to speak up? Uh, we had the Women's March here uh, in downtown Santa Ana yesterday that kind of feeling of, I will not keep silent, I must speak up. Uh, it will not be possible to make me shut up. I will talk and not stop talking, proclaim and not stop proclaiming, preach and not stop preaching. 
I have things to talk about. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. The people of Israel were in uh, bondage. and They were in um, exile at this time. They were living in uh, Babylon. And Isaiah was saying, listen up, people. Don't worry. Don't fear. Um, I will not pause. I will not rest for the sake of the precious city God loved and left. So he's speaking out about Jerusalem. These people are separated from their homeland. Um, they feel so uh, disconnected and uh, like they have no home anymore. They're living in exile in Babylon. Uh, and Isaiah says, I will keep this up until every nation and kings see that Jerusalem has been declared innocent and lifted to a place of glory and honor. You see, Jerusalem was not innocent <laughs> previously. They had turned their backs on God. They had sinned, and God had turned away from them and had left them. And in fact, in chapter 54, God had said, I left to you, but now I will return to you, speaking to Jerusalem and to the people of Israel. And then he said, my love for you will never leave. So those times, oftentimes we are, uh, feel abandoned by God. I don't know, anybody ever felt abandoned by God? <laughs> a few nods, a few amens, yes. I have felt uh, a sense of abandonment by God, but God assures us that oftentimes our sense of separation from God is caused by our own sinfulness. We run and hide from God, and then we say, where are you? Um, it's like we're playing hide and seek. It's like the kids that played, uh, uh, what do they call that? Sardines here at the church that one time. Uh, kids love playing sardines at our church. So sardines is reverse hide and seek. One person goes and hides and everybody tries to find out where they are. And once they find that person, they hide with them. And I think it was Chris Reed. How many of you remember Chris Reed? He was Anna Mae Melville's grandson. He just had a kid. He was married and just had a kid. Um, he's a dad. Anyway. Uh, he went and hid, and he was in hiding for an hour. Nobody found him. <laughs> he found such a good place, because this property is so awesome. There's like so many nooks and crannies, and um, there's probably a kid still down there <laughs> from the last uh, retreat we had. Um, but uh, you know how that feeling is, like we do things and we separate ourselves from God, and then we kind of say, well, where's God in all of this? And we end up doing that to ourselves, and that's what happened to the people of Israel. But God forgave them, God returned to them, returned to Jerusalem, and allowed them to return to Jerusalem. A fascinating story about the Babylonian exile and how God allowed the people of Israel to return to, Israel, to Jerusalem. But when they got back, it was nothing like it had been when they left, before they left. Nebuchadnezzar had come in and just wiped it out and destroyed everything, and they felt like they went to an utter desolation. And um, it was sad for them. And all they could do was set up their homestead. And it wasn't until Nehemiah and Ezra returned that they were able, able to start rebuilding the temple. And the temple was nothing like the glory of the earlier temple. Solomon's temple was amazing. Um, the temple of Ezra and Nehemiah kind of lackluster in comparison. But it was something. Um, and Isaiah 62 promises newness, promises transformation, promises new names, and the prophet can only make these promises because God has made these promises. And sisters and brothers, we can hold on to that. What a great promise. 
no matter how often we feel abandoned by God, God will always return to us. God will always be with us. God will always love us. God will bring about newness, transformation, uh, even new names. The psalm today we did not read, but we sang a little snippet of it in uh, The Steadfast Love. So Psalm 36, the, the psalmist begins with a lament, but out of this dark meditation shines forth praise for God because God is the source of light. Uh, so we get to Psalm 36, 5, and it says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. And we sang the praise song, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies uh, never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is the protector, and later in that uh, passage, it talks about God being uh, the protector under whose wings the innocent find refuge. I don't know if we ever really get that sense of comfort from that, unless we've seen birds and actually seen a mother bird protect her, ch her chicks by putting her arms over them. Uh, wonderful kind of female imagery of God there. It's the mother bird who protects the chicks. Um, the verses say this, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. And then the climax of that Psalm passage is verse 10. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your salvation to the upright of heart. So there's this great sense of comfort that we find from God, both in the passage in Isaiah as well as in the psalm. Then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is the many gifts, one spirit, perfect song that the, the sanctuary singers sang for that kind of response to that scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 12. Um, there are a variety of gifts. How many spirits? One. A variety of services but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but the same God. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift for the common good. Now, Scripture does not say to some are given a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit. To each, every single one of y'all has a spiritual gift, has a God-given manifestation of the Spirit. Every single one of you, I am gifted. You are gifted. Everyone say, I am gifted. I am gifted. Amen. The Spirit of God has given you a gift that goes beyond human understanding. You have a spiritual gift. I feel a little bit like Oprah up here. You have a gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. Uh, Paul names several here, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and inter uh, interpretation of tongues. He names other gifts in other passages. Uh, he um, talks a lot about different gifts that we have. We all have something that's a spiritual gift that goes beyond human understanding that God has gifted us with. Um, all these are activated the same spirit. 
who allots to each just as the Spirit has chosen. Why do we have these gifts? The sermon title, The Common Good. God has given us spiritual gifts for the common good of the church, to equip the saints, to build the church up, to strengthen the church. Um, a few years ago, when our Kenyan congregation was meeting here, um, they had a tragic event in the life of their congregation. Uh, one of the daughters of one of the elders of that church was uh, murdered, brutally murdered by her boyfriend, her fiance. And uh, it was in the news, and uh, it's a terrible thing that happened in Anaheim. And so they had the memorial service here. And the pastor, Pastor Johnson, came to me and said, do you mind if we have this service here? I said, not a problem. We'll try and work everything out. Church was packed. It was full. Um, Jesse graciously, I called him up and said, we desperately need a sound person. Jesse said, I can come and set it up, but I have to work. So he set it up, and we had nobody else. So I went up there and ran the sound. Now, I'm not telling this story to pat myself on the back. But Pastor Johnson, halfway through the service, he talked to me later. He said, halfway through the service, he looked up and he saw me up there and he said, what's Pastor Lance doing up there? He's running sound. Why in the world is he running sound? He should be up here with the rest of us pastors in a place of honor. And we talked about it afterwards. And I said, I didn't need a place of honor. I just wanted to be sure that the service was done well and that you all could have an opportunity to have a positive experience in this terribly tragic moment. Um, and I think I realized something very important that day, that oftentimes we see new members and we think, oh great, what are they gonna do for the church? Rather than say, how can the church do something for them? And so when the Spirit gives you a gift, it's not meant to say, oh look at me, I'm so gifted, or pat myself on the back. The idea is that we do things in order to serve others for the common good. When we think about our Hispanic ministry, it's important for us not to say, oh, what can they do for us? But how can we serve them? Uh, similar to, you know, President Kennedy, don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. In the same way with the church, not so good to, I mean, yes, we're here to serve everybody, but think of ways that you can do things to use your spiritual gift for the common good. And trust me, when you use your spiritual gift, you will be blessed. It's a crazy thing. When you activate your spiritual gift, you experience the spirit in a very powerful way. Um, you know that the spirit's at work in your life and working in you and through you. It's not just about through you, but it's in you as well. So rather than ask, how can I improve my life by going to church, ask, how can I improve the lives of those around me? Um, and then we get to the gospel reading, John chapter 2, the first miracle Jesus did, turning water into wine. Wow, what a great spiritual gift to have. Um, I think that would be something. And... Uh, I can only imagine if we had a guy in our church that could turn water into wine, our church would grow and grow. <laughs> wow, I'm going to your church. That is so cool. But the question kind of arises in my mind when I read this story is why? 
Why did Jesus participate in this miracle? Why did he turn the water into wine? Uh, and a few answers come to my mind, and maybe you would have more. That marriage is important. It's an important aspect of scripture. Uh, the first human institution is marriage. We get all the way to Revelation and we hear about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage is important throughout scripture and the first miracle of Jesus is marriage. So that's an important thing. Also that God shows abundance. We're so busy hoarding everything to ourselves. Oh, I can't give this, I can't give that. I need to keep it for myself. And God is a God of abundance. Oh, I can do that. I can do more and more and more. And again, it shows that God will never abandon us. Even in the midst of a wedding feast, uh, where people are partying and people are drunk, according to the steward, God doesn't abandon us. Um, it shows that God not only acts in grand and expansive ways for salvation, but in intimate, personal, daily exchanges. Uh, Mark Toon was the first one that kind of made this comment, and I've always, it's always stuck with me, that pastors have this great privilege of being with people at every intersection of life. We can be there at birth, we can be there at baptism, we can be there at marriage, we can be there at hospital visits, at graduations, and at death. What a privilege. And each of you has that opportunity to be that way too. God has gifts for you where you can interact with people and build people up and support people and encourage them. So I want to challenge you. Like the people of Israel, we can feel absence of God and think about your life and think about the times in your own life where you have had a sense of absence, a sense of abandonment by God, whether it's your spiritual life, whether it's your family life, whether it's your work life, whatever it might be, and just rest assured. God will not leave you abandoned. God will bring restoration. Even in the life of our church, we might feel like God has abandoned us. We're in downtown, we're struggling, we're fighting to keep ourselves alive. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week at the annual meeting. But we can, can become obsessed with what we don't have. Let's focus on what we do have. Our God is a God of abundance. God has blessed us abundantly. Note in the Psalms, it is God's good pleasure to share abundance. He says, they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. God is blessing us abundantly. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should share in abundance as well. God has given each of us a gift. We should share that gift with others for the common good. He's given each person gifts. We should encourage each other when we see giftedness, I was so proud of Carol a couple weeks ago. David was, oh, I like that, oh no. What have I done now? David was walking out of the church and Carol kind of scooched after him and said, David, I see you here every Sunday. Would you like to try singing in the Sanctuary Singer? Look at him all robed up. Yeah, David sung for two weeks. Do you feel blessed by that? Yes, I do. Okay, see? And so do we. That's right. So that's for the common good. And that's what giftedness is all about. Be at peace. God has not abandoned us. God has never abandoned you. And let us continue to use our gifts for the common good.